0: Namaste. Finally, India seems to have found its soul. It may sound strange that what's there in a temple, or a name, or a historical, or a legendary, or a mythical figure, as one would say, what has that got to do with a nation finding its soul? Some would even question whether there is any reality known as the soul of a nation. To a mind accustomed to see nothing but mud and clay and pieces of land, it's a refreshing change, the sign of an awakening Shakti of the Indian nation. So let's briefly touch upon some of the issues with this great event that is going to take place on the 22nd of January, which is dedicating a temple to Lord Rama in his birthplace in Ayodhya. And his Prana Pratistha. And we will touch upon all these issues little by little through a series of questions. But just a little background for many of us who may not be aware. Just the battle of Ayudhya for reclaiming the land has not only gone on in the courts. Many people are not aware that this has gone on in the mind of the race. Its memory, its records have been preserved in the writings of Tulsidas and many other great people in the common household who have seen this whole process and we have no idea what that would have meant, the anguish, the pain that it would have created. And yes, we may say, well, that was history and we should move forward. But does one ever move forward until there is a catharsis, of a whole generations of anguish, which has been experienced by a group of people. So the battle has continued for many years, many generations, through hundreds of years, and at least for the last one, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years, plus in the courts. That it has come, or fallen on the. Year when India is celebrating its 75th year and we have just seen Shorabindo's 150th year is not a coincidence. At least to my mind, it's not a coincidence. There is a great and deep purpose behind this play of time. And while people may attribute politics and every other things to the event, the fact is that even politics or all that happens in this universe, all the action and events and the drama and the circumstances that unfold, are clearly an indicator of the forces that push us from behind. So we may start with how did the age of Rama come to a decline, if I may use the word. So Ram, as we know, is the avatar, the seventh avatar of Vishnu, who comes at the end of the uh, Treta and he ushers the age of Dwapar. And the beauty of this, the, the avatar is that he comes at a point of transition when a beast like humanity, a Rakshasic humanity, an Asuric humanity must evolve into an illumined thinking humanity. And that's when Rama comes, embodies in, in himself the noblest and highest of the Aryan ideals, which today, I must say, are so difficult let alone cross, so difficult even to arrive at. And I have a feeling that that is one reason why there is so much opposition to Rama. One reason for this opposition could well be that if Rama is remembered again, it sets for us a very high benchmark for humanity to exceed itself. And the Rakshasas, the Asuras within us, I am not talking of a group of people, but within us would not like to have such an ideal. We would be so much more comfortable to be in our comfort zone of an ideal where you know we are living by the so-called modern ideas of uh, what is right, what is wrong, uh, reason and all the rest and we will touch upon all these issues one by one. But the awakening of the soul of India to Rama is significant because actually in a sense it is Rama who is the father of this nation. Because before him there is Jambudweep, Before him there are small kingdoms. And then it is Rama who crosses all the way, thanks to the series of events that unfold in his life, all the way from, literally we may say he links up Mithila, which is modern Nepal, somewhere in modern Nepal, all the way to Sri Lanka. And therefore, and sets the highest ideals of Aryan life dharma and therefore he knits the entire what today we call as the Indian subcontinent into Aryavarth that's when the land of the Aryans is born which as we know that Aryans were not invaders from outside but the settlers here those who lived here grew up here and they were a type of humanity an ideal kept in the mind of humanity and one reason another reason why There is so much resistance to Ram It's because it's difficult to acknowledge that At least 10,000, 15,000 years back That's my calculation I'm not going into the details of it There existed in in India a culture Which was so beautiful, so mighty, so civilized Where there is a son who is ready to Walk away, renounce his kingdom Not because his father had ordered him This is not true That's not how Valmiki Ramayana portrays it but because his father had promised, and Ram comes to know about it, and he does not want his father to have a dharmic dilemma and eventually lose his face because he belongs to a dynasty, uh, the solar dynasty, the Suryavanshis, where whenever you promise something, it must be kept. We have examples of Raja Shivi, of Bhagirath, of Harishchandra, all of them in the same solar dynasty. So just because his father is promised and he knows his dilemma, therefore he walks away, renouncing the kingdom. This is the ideal of Tyaga and Tapasya in India and not the subsequent Gandhian principles. Because Tyaga in Rama's view is not tyag of just kingdom. It's not about tyag of kingdom. It's not about renunciation of outer life, but the renunciation of lust and greed and anger Renunciation of adharma, renunciation of the ego, that is Tyaga. And Ram is the icon who sets the highest benchmark. He is not renouncing a kingdom. He does come and reclaim it. But he is renouncing the egoistic, lustful way that we, which we gra- grab on to kingdoms, to power. That he is renouncing. And that is the beauty of Rama's renunciation. So he is the beacon of uh, Tyag and tapasya two words um, that have driven the Indian mind for long. So naturally, the moment the modern mind accepts that there is a truth of Rama that existed in India, it will put to shame many of those who claim that we are a civilized nation. So I don't need to speak more on it. And the kingdom of Ayudhya which was never conquered, and I just want to read a little passage from Sri Aurobindo's translation of Kalidas on who were the kings in the family of which we see the birth of Rama and he has translated from Kalidas famous Raguvansh. they who were perfect from their birth whose efforts ceased only with success lots of earth to the ocean's edge Whose chariot's path aspired into the sky. They of faultless sacrifices. They of the suppliants, honored to the limit of desire, punishing like the offense, and the moment vigilant, and to the moment vigilant, only to give they gathered wealth. Only for truth they ruled their speech. Only for glory they went forth to the fight. Only for offspring they lit the household fire. Embracers in childhood of knowledge. Seekers in youth after joy. Followers in old age of the anchorites path. They in death through God union their bodies left. So this is the great ideal. And can mankind afford to lose this ideal? So what do we have today? We talk about reason... We talk about organizing society along certain moral and ethical ideas. But in India it is dharma. and Dharma is far deeper than a rationally organized society. Reason is about balancing between the collective good and your individual desires. Reason doesn't teach us that you must uh, must conquer your desire. Reason simply teaches us that satisfy, enjoy your desire as long as it doesn't hurt others. But dharma teaches us to master desire. Because dharma places before us the ideal of liberation, of moksha. Moksha is not about uh, shedding the coils of birth and death, but moksha is to live freely in the true sense of freedom. So the ideal of dharma is not just freedom of speech, but freedom of the soul. The ideal of dharma is not just to do the right and wrong, to get some seat in heaven or to escape the law. (laughs) It is not governed by... Any kind of outer rule of conductor law. The ideal of dharma is far too subtle and supple. And that's what we see in the life of Rama. That's why it's difficult to understand the life of Rama and Krishna. Why did they did what they did? Because from the modern democratic idea, we cannot understand it. At each step of Rama, we see him upholding dharma. When he renounces the kingdom, see today, just look at his conquest of Kishkindha. Conquest in the sense that he forms his Sandhi Friendship with another friendly kingdom And then his conquest over Lanka Now 100 years back or 200 years back, 300 years back We know that people conquered kingdoms What did they do? They crushed and destroyed those kingdoms They robbed it of its wealth They robbed it of its strength They robbed it of its culture They robbed it of everything that was beautiful in that particular kingdom. What does Rama do? He conquers Kiskinda, gives back the crown to Angad. He conquers Lanka, gives back the crown to Vibhishan and walks back back to a Yudhya, a free person. If today even a little of it, nations can follow the world would be a far better place. So this installation of Rama in the temple of Ayodhya is not just a national event. Look at what is happening all around. National ambitions are setting the world on fire from Middle East to West Asia to the eastern side and during that, this period when all around are rings of fire where nations are engulfed in war to Occupy other nations Dominate over other nations We have the ideal of Rama Who goes for the sake of Dharma Renouncing his own kingdom Into other territories Conquers them And gives it back Why? So that Dharma may reign Is humanity ready Even for this idea? Forget about crying Big things about You know How people should be And how they should not be Can humanity change Through UNO and legislations Or through the Awakening of dharma in the heart of humanity That was the secret of the Indian civilization It did not try to give a list of Big list of do's and don'ts And create a you know, group of people sitting together And over table, over conferences Or teaching people how to uh, do self-management How to do anger management How to control through courses and dollars They simply set examples And these examples became a household name and when we grew up reading those examples, we wanted to emulate them. So, Rama has always lived in the hearts of millions of Hindus. And even as an unseen presence, he lives in the heart of humanity, wherever man is seeking for an ideal ethic and noble temperament. And what a combination. And Shivabindra, in one of the places, he says that wisdom. Strength and love are the triumvirate of man's manhood. It's in Perseus the deliverer. Do we not find this combined in Rama's character? Wisdom. His buddhi is known to be always pragya. Though he is deeply emotional but not emotional in the sentimental way. He never lets his buddhi be clouded by his emotions. So all his actions, one of them is when there is the episode of Tarka. He would not shoot an arrow at a woman. And there are all kinds of things going on around that time. But he doesn't let his buddhi wander. He knows this is a maya. This is a play of the asurik maya. And eventually he does what he needs to do. That's the beauty of Rama. That he doesn't let his emotions cloud his buddhi. He is governed by wisdom. Because he has been trained by none less but Rishi Vasist In his childhood days when he has wonderful questions, answers. Uh, when he's growing up in adolescence. That's how... They were trained and he belongs to a dynasty where these values were transmitted through generations. In strength and valor, he can take the challenge of any army. Just imagine, he goes all the way to take on an army which is at that point of time, the mightiest army not only on earth, which is supposed to have conquered even the heavenly and celestial powers. And Rama takes on them. For whose sake? For the sake of love, for the sake of dharma. It's not whether he'll win or lose. It's because it's the right thing to do. And he goes all the way and conquers valorously with chivalry. Of course, people say that why did he shoot Vali from behind the trees? I've already talked about it and people can go and listen to that particular episode on questions on Rama's life. And therefore, chivalry, strength... Which is so important to manhood. And then of course love. And look at his tender feelings. Filial love. Love for friends. Love for those who have done even a little good to him. Love for his wife for whose sake he is ready to take on the challenge. Love for his father for whose sake he is ready to renounce a kingdom so that he upholds his promise. Love for his mother. Even the mother who has been instrumental in his banishment. Ram never holds a grievance for her in, her in his heart. In fact, when his brother Bharat uh, speaks ill of her, it is Rama who tells him, this is not how you should be thinking about your mother. All the great and noble ideals towards which humanity aspires for are embodied in a single, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's how Indian thought developed itself. That's how India grew into a mighty nation. So what went wrong? Why did it fall? And that is something to do with what is happening today. It's very interesting. India fell because we left that path of Sanatana Dharma which was an integral path which took life, this world and the other world together and took to the extreme edge of otherworldliness, which is where Mayavad began to predominate. Primarily after Shankracharya. Is it merely a coincidence that Shankracharyas are opposing the installation of Rama? Many people may not be aware, but in a strict Advaitic terms, there is nothing like avtar. There can be no avtar. God cannot be born in human clay. So it's not just about politics, there would be politics, that's a different matter. But Rama. His coming alive in the heart and mind of millions is a sign that it is the Indian mind has rejected the Mayavad of Sankracharya. It may take this form that Sankracharyas are opposing. It's events, behind events, always there are forces that are pushing. And we should look at it. Anyways, India never was an organized religion. That's its strength. We don't have a head pope or a uh, what is that called? Khalifa sitting and dictating. We question, so we question everybody. <laughs> Whole Gita is about question and answers. All of yoga verses is about question and answers. So that's the ethos in Indian culture. We don't uh, say questioning is bad. We can question even the highest authority. Arjun questions Krishna, so far as it's a genuine seeking. So this is how we see the Indian civilization grow into its deepest, highest values. It lost. It fell from its heights of glory when it lost the yoga given to India by Sri Ram and Sri Krishna and took to the path of Shankaracharya, Buddha and eventually Gandhi for all the big names. And eventually we know that now is the time when the Shakti is awakening and therefore all that is going to stand in the way. Of the emergence of Sanatana Dharma. Not for India alone. India never lives for India alone. But for the world. Even till date India has followed this ethos. Even 71 when India entered Bangladesh. India came back. After freeing it. It's a great example. Even till today. So it's not about politics. It's inbuilt within the Indian system. It's not about this party or that party. So many people often say. For instance, today one of the thoughts is Why should we mix religion and politics? My answer is Should we mix politics with selfishness and ego? What really is religion about? Religion is about teaching humanity In the true sense Not religion as it has become The highest values Should politics not be governed by dharma? Did Shavidu make a mistake when he said that Sanatana Dharma is nationalism and nationalism is Sanatana Dharma. Can there be politics without Dharma and be good? Ram itself himself is an ideal of ideal governance. Look how he combines the democratic ideas where even the farthest man, the Dovi, his voice has a say. It is said, how did he come to know? He didn't, the dovi never came, the washerman never came and stood in the court and said, well, I have a complaint against you. Rama would send regularly his people to listen to the voice of people in, the, in his kingdom and get back and tell him, do they have a grievance with me and my governance? That's how Rama Rajya was established. It was a monarchy, but a monarchy which combined the democratic ideals. And then one day somebody reported that somebody, some people were discussing something about you and your wife. What is that ideal he sets forth? Raj Dharma. And what was the grievance? The grievance was, I can, in some time back when this same incident had happened with someone's wife, She was left and Rama is, because he's a king, he can do whatever he likes. And of course, subsequently the law changes. It is an evolutionary transition. I am not even discussing whether Uttarakhand is there or not. But Rama sets the highest standards in the sense, in that whole story, the message is, what applies to the commoner applies to me. And if the law is wrong, it must be changed. But till it is changed, I can't change it today suddenly because it is my... My situation is at stake. That is the beauty of Rama. So he combines monarchy with democratic ideals. I don't know where all it has been combined, but certainly in the life of Rama. He combines beautifully the idea of fraternity, equality, unity, in which way he not only includes, you know, in his army, the vanara, the the one, the type of humanity which is still striving from the animal to the human type. But he has shown such kindness toward Jatayu, the vulture, the gheed. He has such kindness towards the little animal which is rolling in the sand. His tenderness. Many people have all kinds of stories that Rama was non-vegetarian. It doesn't matter whether he was vegetarian, non-vegetarian. He was a Kshatriya. But people should know that it's there in the Valmiki Ramayana that before he goes, he says that now that I am renouncing, I will live on The fruits of the, uh, whatever is grown in the forest. This is one of the vows he takes. So, that way he lives his life, the austere life. And yet when he comes back, he doesn't say, no, no, I is not rigid, I have renounced the kingdom. Because it was not kingdom, he had renounced his ego claim over the kingdom. The lust over kingdom. And that's where we see that he combines he can be the right kind of person to govern. He is the right example of what could come after democracy. Let me foresee a future. Democracy is becoming dated. Everywhere we are seeing the cracks. So what could come? Well, a governance by few people who have conquered ego and desire and ambition. It may sound like a far cry but many times The night is densest when dawn is closest. Such people are rising. They are rising in politics. And it's a sign that one day we will have more and more of such people. They would be few in number. That's enough. And if they can govern, maybe a kind of oligarchy, but not oligarchy, a few powerful nobles. But of those people who have truly practiced inner renunciation, who have arrived at Through self-sacrifice at the great wisdom. Who can become recipients of the divine will. See, what is democracy? It's for the people, by the people, of the people. So, the common factor is the consciousness of the people. Can we imagine what it means? (laughs) It means if the consciousness of people is very low. A group of people, they just want nothing but freedom to do whatever they feel like. And if they have to select a king or a leader, whom will they select? They will select their type. That's why it is said that what does democracy reflect? The will of the people. Very true. What the results will be if humanity is not just educated but ennobled. Education is not enough because having a degree is one thing and being ennobled and refined is another thing. So, what is going to happen to a civilization and a nation if such people which is the common lot of humanity, throw up from themselves leaders in the government. Of course, uh, there are various forces that act at different points and intervene. And I am not going into that politics domain. But the point is, not separate politics and religion, but ennoble both. Let there be spiritual governance in politics and everywhere else. And that's where we see kings like Rama and in far back times. In fact, the entire lineage, is the 25th king of a whole dynasty of Ikshvaku rulers. And each, of, each one of them is a legend in his own right. So this is what Rama is. And before I take some of the questions, this is what Sri Bindo writes about him. An avatar is not at all bound to be a spiritual prophet. He is never in fact merely a prophet. He is a realizer. That is the difference. An establisher, not of outward things only. Though he does realize something in the outward also. But as I have said, of something essential and radical needed for the terrestrial evolution, which is the evolution of the embodied spirit through successive stages toward the divine this is the significance of ram that he comes as an avatar at the transitional point from the animal humanity to an illumined humanity and therefore shibindu continues it was not at all rama's business to establish the spiritual stage of that evolution so he did not at all concern himself with that his business was to destroy ravan and to establish the ram Raj. in other words to fix for the future the possibility of an order proper to the Sattvic civilized human being. Look at Shivindo's words, every word is important for the future. The possibility. And that's why the ideal of Ram Raji continues to be in the mind of you know the Indian people. Possibility of an order proper to the Sattvic civilized. Human being, not just a rational, democratic human being, mark the words, who governs his life by the reason, but not only reason. So the difference between dharma and reason, between sattvic and rational comes here clear. Who governs his life by the reason, the finer emotions. It's not necessary that one may be rational and yet have finer emotions. The people who are very rational, who can argue anything, analyze everything in shreds and bits and pieces, but may have the crudest and vulgarest of life impulses within them. So along with reason, finer emotions, which Rama embodies. Morality or at least moral ideals. What are the moral ideals for which Rama stands? Such as truth, obedience, cooperation, harmony, the sense of humor, the sense of domestic and public order. To establish this in a world still occupied by anarchic forces, the animal mind and the powers of the vital ego, making its own satisfaction the rule of life. In other words, the Vanara and the Rakshasa. Can a rational, democratic way of life establish this? Or can a dictatorial regime establish this? Can a mind governed by a rigid, dogmatic, narrow, fanatic religion establish this? Can a state control of the individual by the few establish this? It can only be established if you awaken the need of dharma in the human race. And this can be done either directly if mankind has reached that stage of evolution where it takes to the way of dharma, which is not at all about simple outward code of conduct or somebody sitting with a carrot and red through fear and favour. Or else... When we place before mankind the ideal through living examples. And that's why the importance of Rama and Krishna and such heroes. Often people say that Indians are hero worshippers. Yes, why not? Why should we worship all that is high and noble and beautiful? Why should we appreciate that which is low and basal? Whole mankind should have. In fact, there should be hero, heroes everywhere. And real life heroes. Not heroes of film, cinema or... Sports. So this is the kind of ideal that Rama establishes. This is the meaning of Ram and his life work and it is according as he fulfilled it or not that he must be just as avatar or no avatar. It was not his business to play the comedy of the chivalrous Kshatriya with the formidable brute beast that was Wali. He didn't come to say, Oh, this is a brute beast, now I'm going to defeat him in a hand to hand combat. Like actually suddenly running out of the crowd and pouncing and (laughs) massacring people. That was not his business to prove a point. He had come to clear the path. Not Wali but Sukri. That was his whole idea. It was his business to kill him and get the animal mind under his control. It was his business to be not necessarily a perfect but a largely representative Sattvic man. He has flaws. See look at how Valmiki paints him. He is an ideal and yet he is human. So he has his flaws. But those flaws look like sweet little flaws in front of a picture. The Rama Valmiki, who is noble, tender, strong, wise, mighty. And then these little flaws, they go into the background. A faithful husband and lover, I have given this example in some of my talk, Rama is a lover, when he asks Sita to lie down in his lap or to be by his side when he will show the world to her, that is Rama, is a lover. So all these things which you want in an ideal humanity. But a largely representative sattvic man, a faithful husband, and lover, a loving and obedient son, a tender and perfect brother, father, friend. Sorry to say, but the temple of Rama was destroyed by civilization where the son would kill his father and his own brother for the sake of kingdom. That was the way temple was destroyed. And who is Rama? Who would sacrifice a kingdom for the sake of his brother, father and his brother. Look at the contrast of the ideals. He is a friend of all kinds of people. This is the way he established ideal of equality. Not this, just that let's all be friends, all humanity is one. Not only humanity, the animal kind, the plant, everything he includes. So he is a friend Of all kinds of people, friend of the outcast Guhak. So all these are symbolic things. I believe in the um, in Ayodhya, they are they are making a Atithi Grae, a place for the guest, which is uh, named as Guhak, named after the Nishadra, as the boatman, and uh, of course a Shabri food place. Shabri is again an outcast. So this is how Rama has dealt with everybody. Friend of the animal leaders, Sugriv, Hanuman, friend of the vulture, Jatayu. You ever heard somebody befriending a vulture? And not only befriending him, giving him a decent burial as to his own family member. To all the animal lovers, <laughs> life of Rama is an example. friend even of the Rakshasa Vibhishan. All that he was in a brilliant striking, but above all spontaneous and inevitable way, not with the forcing of this note or that, like Harish Chandra or Shivi, who are his own purvaj ancestors, but with a certain harmonious completeness. But most of all, it was his business to typify and establish the things on which the social idea and its stability depend. Truth and honour, much more even than to his filial love and obedience to his father. Though to that also, he sacrificed his personal right as the elect of the king and the assembly and 14 of the best years of his life and went into exile in the forest to his public spirit and his sense of public order. The great and supreme civic virtue in the eyes of the ancient Indians, Greeks, Romans people have forgotten it, but in India, we still remember it. Not for the satisfaction of the individual was the pressing need of human civilization. He sacrificed his own happiness and domestic life and the happiness of Sita. Why? Because of the larger public order. This is Ram. Life of sacrifice and renunciation. In that, he was at one with the moral sense of all the anti Though at variance with the later romantic, individualistic, sentimental morality of the modern man, who can afford to have that less stern morality just because the ancient sacrificed the individual in the order to make the world safe for the spirit of social order. Finally, it was Rama's business to make the world safe for the ideal of the sattvic human being by destroying the sovereignty of Ravana, the Rakshasa Minas, All this he did with such a divine afflatus in his personality and action that his figure has been stamped for more than two millenniums on the mind of Indian culture. And what he stood for has dominated the reason and idealizing mind of man in all countries. And in spite of the constant revolt of the human vital, he is likely to continue. Look at the future. In spite of the revolt of the human mind is likely to continue to do so until a greater ideal arises. The greater ideal we know are Sri Krishna and Sri Aurobindo. And you say in spite of all this that he was no avatar? So this is not just an ordinary event. It is an event of deeply symbolic significance. And we should not just uh, look at it with a very narrow band, spectrum of eyes, Of this party, that party. Parties will come and go, but Rama has endured. Not just parties, he has endured. (laughs) Civilizationals onslaught. So parties will come and go. But Rama will continue. And he should continue. He must continue. Because in Rama is the chance of redemption of an Ahilya, of a Wali, of a Ravana. And not in the modern ideals... The so-called liberal, where, which makes us a slave to our desires and lusts and just uses the word liberal. <laughs> so that's not… Anyways, so I'll take up some of the questions people have sent me. Myth and reality, in the Bhartiya view, there are several orders of reality. In the Western view, all that is, does not belong to the physical world is not a reality. This view is being shaken today by the simple fact that if you watch a television serial, it has an effect upon your nervous system. There is a whole branch called neurocinematics. So, is television a myth, the story or a reality? It is creating reality, it is shaping reality. It is reality of another order. I am not even discussing whether Rama is a historical figure or not. Of course, he's a historical figure. But there are many things in that where... The seer, Valmiki, because he is a seer, he has brought in other orders of reality and intertwined with the story so well that they are just neatly knit into it. That's the beauty of Ramayana. That he has brought in the otherworldly realities when Ravan is praying to Brahma and, you know, or doing tapasya and he has all these powers and celestial weapons and, you know, all these, when the vulture is speaking and. All these different orders of reality, different ways of communication, understanding, creation. And they go so smoothly into the story that we never question that, oh, how can this be? It fits in. So it's a package where and that's how life is. Life is where the other and this worldly meet together. It's not this world and this world and that world and that world. They knit together, and that's the beauty of one of the beauty of this story. The importance of Rama, we have just said, Ayodhya, of course we know, on the banks of Saryu River is the city whose name was derived because it was never conquered. And you know why it was never conquered? We all know Ayodhya, that's how it is known. And why it was never conquered? It was never conquered because the kings of Ayodhya had conquered themselves. This was the ideal of Swaraja and Samrajya. So Ayudhya is not just a city with a name, it's an ideal. If kings conquer themselves, they make their, whatever piece of land they are governing, be it a small little hamlet or a big land, they make it impenetrable. Self-conquest is the key to world conquest. This is the sutra here, Ayutthaya. All the kings in that lineage, of course were known as Saket earlier. And in all these, the seven most important cities in the Indian pantheon, if you see, and always you will see the cities associated with a name or a celestial being because that's how Indian life has been. The otherworldly, thisworldly, the celestial, the gods, the demons, all the forces, and this material life, they're all knit together. That's the reality of the cosmos and creation. The significance of time, place, name and form. Often people say, what's in a name? Of course, there is things in a name. That way one may say, what's in in a person? What's there in a form? Everything has its significance if you look at Indian thought. Time has its importance. The way Indian thought has studied time. I think even today we don't have that degree of precise calculation as the Indian mind had discovered earlier. Why? Because time is a field for the play of forces. There are times when certain forces are very active. That's how Indian mind has understood events. There are times when certain forces are of a different order or active. So it is said that when Ravan is being born or being conceived, his father who is a sage himself tells his mother, this boy is going to be nothing but a bundle of lust and greed because he has been conceived at a wrong moment. It's the moment of evening when Shiva takes it, Stroll across the world and everything is in quietude. It's a meditative hour, not an hour for having conceiving a child. You see time as it's important, Muhurtha. Place. It's not a piece of land. Indian mind has never conceived of land as a mud of, or clay. Every land holds within it, especially earth, because earth has that capacity to hold things for that's why it's the gravitational principle. Earth holds within itself memories of millenniums and millenniums and millenniums. And yogis can, by taking a lump of clay or holding a sword in their hand, can know all that has transpired on that piece of land. So India has this understanding that a piece of land is not just a piece of land. It carries within itself vibrations and there are certain vibrations which can always be once again brought to life. So it's not a dead piece of wood a dead piece of land, so we have to understand the significance of place. So the birthplace of Rama, I am not going into the uh, legal details, but the birthplace of Rama holds within itself the memory of the event when Rama comes and how humanity would have responded at that point of time. So this is the significance of time, place and name and form. So Indian thought, uh, till it became otherworldly and Mokshvadin and mayavadin, it felt the significance of the form, and that's where we come to the idea of pranapratistha. So pranapratistha is has several levels. One is of course the uh, ritualistic uh, way, and ritualistic way is a elaborate occult process where you first invoke pray to the land, and then, which is interesting, it happened already. This land, even when the the mosque was built after demolishing, people used to go and stand there and pray. Because they had the memory in those earlier generations. Later on also, they would often point out to it that this is the place where Rama was born. Of course, with a very sad, anguished heart. And so there is a preparation of the land which unwittingly happened here through a play of forces and circumstances that people were going and offering prayers that's how the buddhi was uh, moved. So it is not just about a party's event. It's a something very different. It was this progressive awakening of the soul of a nation. And then the uh, the form, the pratistha. The next level is they pray to the deity that we have tried to make the idol. The idol is not made by just pick up any wood or any stone. The stone should have certain qualities. It should be able to hold the spiritual vibration That's why we will see many of the places Built in marble It has the capacity to absorb the vibrations The stones which are not subject To decline I think the Rama idol is being made from one such stone Because it must have Some property which reflects The capacity of the Or the quality of the divine What is the quality of the divine? He is Akshat, he is Akshara So therefore the Stone also at a material level must represent that. And then still they pray that we are making this idol. But it cannot be made perfect like you. Please come in. Take your seat. So that process goes on for a number of days. I think that was going on recently. So it's not just a one time event that they do. Kirti, Aarti and all this. And then there is a special process where they invoke... The living presence in that idol They make it into a living presence So this was the occult way of doing it But there are other ways also A Bhakt can By his feelings Always invoke the deity's presence How does Rama Do prana pratistha of the Shivling in Rameshwaram The temple comes much 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 later People talk about One of the you know Pitha is Rameshwaram <laughs> Temple was never built but Jyotirling is established. Why? Because simply Rama invoked Shiva's presence. Temple is built much later. There was no temple actually. So presence is installed so beautifully in that story. How? By the mere fact that it's Rama with his feelings, with his heart. There are several instances like that. Where by your... Sri Aurobindo's own life, when we see that he goes to... So he, he sees an uh, image of Mother Kali... At Karnali And he sees the world mother And There is a third level of pran pratishtha Where if you are a spiritual being Spiritually We see that in the life of Sri Ramakrishna How mother Kali came into his dream And says that you don't have to go anywhere I am going to come here And that's how the temple is built by Rani Rasmani Why? Because Kali has agreed to come so, just imagine. So, there are different levels and ways, but now it is being done because we, not everybody has the bhav and the capacity which makes the living reality, you know, accessible to the worshiper, even in a piece of wood or stone. That's one. And spiritually, a person with a spiritually awakened person, like uh, Swami Vivekananda having darshan of uh, Shiva in Amarnath or of Mahabhavani in the, in the, Khir Bhavani, you know, temple. So, that's another level. And of course, these are several ways of Pran Pratishya. And Maryada Purushottam, that's the beauty of Rama. Why is called Maryada Purushottam? Maryada Purushottam is called because it's easy to be, <laughs> I am using a modern, to be non-violent when you are a weak person. It's easy to say like a, a rat saying to an elephant, "No, no, I today I am not going to uh, gnaw at you with my teeth, mm-hmm. though I am mighty." But it's a very different thing when a lion or an elephant simply asks the rat to move out of his way. Rama, with all his strength and might, you know, it's surprising if you compare all the warriors in ancient India, including Arjun, including all others. There is nobody who will qualify as half a warrior as Rama, given the celestial weapons that he has. Rishi Vishwamitra has given him. First he has earned himself, then Rishi Vishwamitra gives him. Then Agastra Rishi gives him. All these weapons are with him. He doesn't use them. He doesn't use Pasupatastra to decimate Lanka or Ravan. That's why he's is Maryada Purushottam. He can dry up the ocean. He doesn't use it. He prays, he asks ocean, please give me way, help me, I have to cross over. And it's only when Lakshman gets furious and says, and he says, and that's the time when Rama has to do nothing but simply, I mean, that kind of capacity that he could pick up a blade of grass and turn it into a, uh, you know, infallible... Nuclear missile, if I was to use a modern termlo- terminology, that's why it is called as Ram Ramban. If once he set it on target, it would not miss it. This term is used even today, when people, as a healer, I grew up listening to this Ram Ramban Asadi. <laughs> this medicine will work for sure, just like the arrow of Rama. And yet Rama doesn't uh, use those powers. Even at the moment of battle, look at his tenderness when Ravan is not being killed. And he's told, Why don't you shoot at his heart? He said, No, he loves Chanki. Chanki is there in his heart. Can we imagine today a personality which combines such tenderness and such strength? Often we see strength at the cost of tenderness. Or we see tenderness which becomes lax and weak. Here is Rama combining in one personality. So, that's why he is Maryada Purushottam. He sets these standards of when he, he, he is one with the, he, is, he is, he's come from the infinite, but he knows how to set his own limits. This is a different ideal from rule-bound society where we set limits because we are afraid of the law, because we are afraid that we may go to prison, meaning thereby in personal life we may do whatever we want to, Do as far as we can escape the law. Isn't that happening in the legal system? There is a law and people find a way out of the law. This is the legal system. What is the Indian way? Dharma. Maryada. Not because of fear of law. Not because I may be punished. Fear of nothing. But because it is the right thing to do. This is the difference between disciplining oneself. Sanyama. And behaving nicely because of fear or favor. What high civilization value. I personally feel very proud to be born in India and would love all my lives to be born here and do the divine work. Religion and politics, I have already spoken about it. Secular and religious, another myth What is secular? Secular is about, ultimately, what is the aim of both? It is to improve the human condition. What does religion want? Religion when it is not just turned towards other-worldliness. It's one of the ways. Religion is not just about seeking. See, this idea has come because of a certain religious ideal-ideal that we have to only turn towards worshipping God in a temple or seeking Him beyond this life into an otherworldly salvation. Shubinda uses the word post-mortem salvation. But there is the other idea of religion that lead a life which is beautiful, noble and happy. Wouldn't that improve the human condition? Why create this divide? So religion, when it is not, does not succumb to fanaticism, narrowness, rigidity, dogma, then it's A beautiful flower of the heart for the blossoming of all that is beautiful in the human being. So this is how we have to look at this and combine the two. Rational versus dharmic society, I have already spoken about it. Cultural and spiritual identity of a nation. So nation is not just a piece of land. Sri spoke about it. Mother India is not a piece of earth. And Mother says... That I wish all nations recognize that this is not just a piece of land. Who would fight for a piece of land? I mean, actually it is so meaningless. It is a Shakti, a power. And it's that which we defend. Certain values we defend. Certain civilization heights of glory that one defends. A way of life that a whole group of humanity has nurtured and nourished and developed. That is what is to be defended against all that opposes it. It's not just about defending a piece of land. And as I said, what kind of values? Values which can still save the world. So it is about the spiritual identity of a nation. Another thing, faith, fervor, frenzy, fury, fanaticism, they are all different words and they should not be mistaken one for the other. I'll just give two examples one example, uh, that is a real life, what is happening today. Now it's up to us to decide whether it's faith or frenzy or fury of fanaticism. So there is a whole uh, generation after generation of these Surivanshi lineage of tribes who, for the last 500 years, have never worn a headgear and never wore slippers. Because they suffered the humiliation of the demolition of Rama temple. This was their tapasya. They did not lend themselves into a fury and play the victim card and went around killing people when India got freedom. No. They lived a life of tapasya. They are coming for this event. Another sweet little story of a woman, very poor woman. So people were collecting, you know, crowdfunding. Not because it's needed, but as a Drabi Yagya. In India, the dana, the gift is not given only by the rich. Even the poor people contribute. We grew up like that. That when there was a puja, we do not go only to the rich people, but even the next door person or the person who is in a hut would contribute. We will go and they feel happy. Because it's a Yagya. It's not that the rich is giving to the poor. That that ideal is false. So, she contributes them. She says, why are you all um, coming here? He said, no, no, we are collecting some money for the Rama temple. He said, oh, I also want to give you something. And she took out 20 rupees note and gave to them. They, they saw her condition and they said, no, 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 Amma, you leave it. We don't uh, uh, want from you. She said, no, 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 I want to give. So, then they said, okay, we are giving receipt only for 10 rupees. So, they did not want her to. You know, they saw her situation. And she said, no. You take twenty, you give me the receipt, one receipt, only ten rupee receipt. So give one for me and one for my dead son. I want to give it in his name. It is still there in India. She is a poor woman, but not a helpless woman. Sita is not Abla. She is an empowered woman who can find her way. Even without Rama, she is the eternal feminine. That is Sita. That is the great ideal of the eternal. She is empowered. Not because she is, you know, marrying Ravan because it's convenient now. (laughs) That's what the lure is given. She is the feminine who continues to love Rama and nurtures two children, brings them up into beautiful boys who are never, even for a moment, feel embittered against their father. That is the strength of Sita. I think without Sita, Rama is incomplete. That's why we have grown up on the culture of Sita Ram, Sita Ram. We, we don't say Rama without Sita, Sita Ram. So, um, so, this is faith. It's about awakening the faith of a nation. Yes, wherever faith awakens in a mass, some fervor will be there. But fury is different. Fury is dangerous. Fury is a mob-like mind where people start, uh, you know, um, attacking some other group of uh, religion. Uh, India so far has never done that. Regardless of whatever people may say. We have defended. Hindus have defended. They have fought back. But they have not been the ones who have gone and tried to destroy. It's not inbuilt. Defending, yes. Yes. But not uh, so. It's not frenzy and fury. It's not fanaticism. Fanaticism is impossible to the Hindu mind because we have Rama, we have Krishna, we have Shiva, we have saint sages, and we know we are going to have a mosque in five kilometers. No Hindu is objecting. He's saying it's cool. We are not going to say that no, you shouldn't have. It's fine. All that people wanted is give that land. How can there be... Fanaticism is just impossible to the Hindu mind. Because, simply because it has grown up on the sap of Sanatan Dharma, which is truly speaking the widest and the deepest and the profoundest and the highest possible worldview. And lastly, before I close, people don't understand. There was recently this thing, we should rather build hospitals... And what is that? Some place, schools and... uh, What is it called? uh, Employment opportunities, build factories. This is the Western model. We have not grown up in a village. We don't know what is Sanatan economics. I have grown up. So I know this. How so many festivals sustain the entire economy of a nation. Now people are saying that thanks to this... Some thousand crore business has come Simply because see when you have an event There will be idols, there will be laddu, There will be festivity There will be celebration So you are actually It's not about just utilitarian approach Where you make give employment by building a factory You make a commodity market product Advertise it uh, Put cost ten times the more Exploit the worker Is that economics And this economics Is full of joy on, on Dipawali, for instance We had those craftspeople Who were making different types of you know Handmade Diyas And it was such a joy To pick up different types And different models So there was art in it There was joy in those who were making it There was such a common celebration Because he is giving us something Which I will also celebrate And we would often say when we give the money Teri bhi Diwali hogi And it was Inbuilt within the Indian, Indian fabric till a thought came and destroyed all this. Now we have Chinese lights and you know, we have all those things, and I don't want to speak about that. But there is a way that economics in India has grown. Not through selling weapons, not through selling drugs, not through selling pornography, not through selling market commodities, but employment even to the handcraftsman. So much. So many guest houses, dharamshalas, arrangement for drinking. So we must understand a uh, whole ethos, a civilizational ethos. And it's time to close it. I would say that India should now once again rediscover a way of life. Give it a modern form, not the same old form, which will be appropriate to the age, the future that is building before us. That is what Shurvidho meant when he said, how are we going to uh, recover that lost glory and not for itself shubinda says but for the world not by conquering the world india has never done that but by sending its own see there is uh, signs of rama's footprints in indonesia in, in bali in rome in uh, you know middle uh, central asian countries how how has it happened <laughs> it's very interesting so India has always conquered through the power of thought. It has sent into the world beautiful thought. So it's time that we once again recover that kind of thought. And Sri reminds us, he says it's God's will that we should be ourselves. We have no issues if others are their selves. Everybody should be their selves. But this is what India is about. And he says how we can do it? He says, recover the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Gita. Not exact words, but more or less. Recover the Aryan ideal, the Aryan way of life. Not just in thought and sentiment, but in life. So that is how we have to start living that life. So there is the Pran Pratistha of Rama in the temple. And let there be prana Pratistha of that glory, that divinity, that ever ever. Evolving, ever unfolding glory of the divine who takes body, comes from age to age, Sambhavami, Yogi, Yogi, to add a new chapter in the history of the march of mankind. So let Ramat to awaken within us of which this is a symbolic and occult sign. Let us live the great Aryan ideals and set an example of what it is to be a dharmic civilization and a dharmic society. Not just for ourselves, but for the good of the world. So with this prayer, let's close and pray that may the highest, the noblest, the best, the widest, the deepest, the most profound ways of life open before all of us, all mankind. One last word before I close. Rama has come. Is Ramarajya the ideal age of mankind far behind? Ma. Thank Thank you.